Thank you guys for joining us tonight on our broadcast. We are going to be studying the book of Daniel, and I'm excited about it. We're going to study. Um, I actually have my little pen here, so I will be drawing on my screen as for some of the points. Usually if I'm teaching in a regular teaching mode, I usually have a big whiteboard and I'm doodling and daddling, and usually my doodling helps me think. <laughs> so tonight I'm going to try to use my screen to do that. It may not be as neat handwriting as I normally, not that my handwriting is neat anyway, but it may not be as neat as it would normally be. However, uh, if you have pen and paper and we're we're writing things down, it actually helps us keep information in our minds. So very, very excited for this opportunity to study the word of God with you. Now, because you know that I'm not smart enough or intelligent enough to communicate the realities of the gospel to you, I'm going to ask if you don't mind if you would bow your heads for prayer as we ask God's Holy Spirit to be our teacher and our guide. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your love and mercy. We thank you, Father, for not giving us what we deserve, but giving us what your dear son does. And Lord, as we're about to open our Bibles, we ask for the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the only effectual teacher of truth. And we ask for this not because we are worthy but because your dear son is worthy and your word tells us to come boldly to your throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and pardon in time of need. And Father, without question, this is a time of need. Your word also says, if any man or woman lack wisdom, let him ask of God to give it to all men liberally and abrade of not, and it will be given. So we submit to these promises. We put them before you now, Father, and we ask for this in the name of Jesus, and we claim the merits of his holy and most precious blood. Amen. Amen. So tonight, if you don't mind, open your Bibles with me to the book of Daniel. And before we get to Daniel chapter 3, I want to review Daniel 1 and Daniel 2 with you. And I'm going to do it from, from, from my mind. And again, if you are studying with me, you should be doing this on a regular basis yourself. Just reviewing things, just making sure they're clear to you, making sure they're fresh in your mind. And the principles that are there. So here, here's Daniel 1 in my mind. So as I'm reviewing Daniel 1, I'm looking at it. And I'm saying God is the one that's ultimately in control. He's the one that sets up kings and he takes them down. And God is the one that allowed for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, to take Judah captive and take their vessels and put them into his temple. And in his mind, he thought, you know, the vessels in the temple indicate that my God, being, being um, Nebuchadnezzar's God, is bigger than the children of Israel's God. But the reality is, my friends, that's not the case. The Bible says that God gave Judah into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar. So we see that off top, that God's in charge. Then we saw something that I thought was interesting. We saw three things that the king looked for. He looked for, well, seven things he looked for, but three areas of impact that he was very focused on. The first thing the king was looking at was the ability for someone to stand in his court. And he was looking at the intelligence you know, the capability of the captives. And back in the day when they capture folks, at least in this scenario, they didn't just put them in prison. They literally trained them and put them in position so that they can rule, rule and properly manage those who they've conquered. So he was looking for intelligent folks. He's looking for an education that will prepare them to stand before him. So that was, a, that was one of the things. He tried to change the education of the Hebrews. Second thing was, he looked at their at their uh, their diet and said, "You know what? I think the king's diet is best for them." So he tried to feed them directly from the king's table, and that that is a reality that there was an adjustment in the diet, the the, the health of of the of the captives. Then, thirdly, he tried to change their names, and in the name is often the character. In the names that were given to uh, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Belshazzar. These names were indications, these pagan names were indications of the gods that they were supposedly named after and trying to change their spirituality and their religion and their identity. So the king, the pagan king, tried to affect three main areas, their education, their health, and their spiritual identity. And these three areas we have to be careful of in our day, right? We made that personal application. We looked at that and said, you know, those three areas, we need to make sure that our education is after the order of God. We need to make sure that our, our lifestyle and our diet is after the order of God. We need to make sure that our spirituality is reflective of our walk with the Most High, right? So we looked at those three areas. And then we saw 
that Daniel purpose in his heart, Daniel and his friends purpose in their heart that they would not take the king's meat. They knew that that food was offered to idols. They also knew that that food was not reflective of the original diet given to them in Genesis chapter one. And they say, you know what? We don't want to defile ourselves. They actually use that word defile. And they saw themselves as a temple. The next part of it, we see that they were given favor. God brought them into favor. And we looked at Proverbs chapter three. And we, see how, we saw how favor was ultimately given to these men. It wasn't by accident. It wasn't just because they were handsome or whimsical. It was because they were following God's law. And Proverbs 3 tells us that that's how that transpires. In fact, when we looked at Luke, we saw that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. What did that mean? Jesus himself was obedient and submissive to the will of God. So therefore, he was given this Favor, all right? So favor is something that we could have. Again, a personal application that we made. Favor is not something that you hope for. Favor is something that we all have as we are walking in connection and submitting to God hour by hour, moment by moment. So we looked at that. And then we saw that resolute decision made them stand up for what they believed. And they were given a probationary time. And within that probationary time, God blessed them and made their faces more radiant and more plumpy and more healthy looking than those others that were around them. And they passed that test with flying colors and they had pulse to eat. And we saw that when they had this pulse to eat, it was that word pulse means things that grow from the ground. And they used that, that food uh, that was originally given from the beginning of time as a means of making sure they were healthy and fit. Remember, in Daniel 1, the whole purpose of Nebuchadnezzar taking them captive and giving them this new education and giving them this new food and giving them this, this name change was to help them stand before him. But ultimately, my friends, these Hebrew boys were not necessarily focused on standing before the earthly king. They were interested in standing before the king of kings who put kings in position. Is that right? So keeping that in mind, they are faithful. And then God blesses their faithfulness by giving them wisdom and understanding, making them the top of the class. We know that they were given this position of influence and power because they, yes, they were faithful, but they put their, they put their minds to their study. They, they were vested in their preparation. So when they stood before the king, the Bible says the king found them 10 times wiser than all those who had gone and stood before. And so that's, that was a powerful, powerful position. And then at the end of the story, it says, and Daniel was given wisdom, not just in knowledge, but he was given the ability to understand visions and dreams. So Daniel 1, if there is no Daniel 1, there is no Daniel 2. There has to be a Daniel 1 where Daniel was faithful in order for there to be a Daniel 2 where this dream, the king receives a vision or a dream that he cannot remember. And he's willing to kill all these wise men in Daniel 2. And Daniel goes before the king, asks for more time, takes it to his friends, and they're all in prayer. I want to back up for a second before I get to the prayer part. And I say this all the time, but I want to make sure it's repeated here. God always lets the wicked go first. He is a gentleman. He is patient. He wants you and I to come to a place where we recognize that we cannot do it ourselves. Whether that be with our finances, whether that be with our children, whether that be with our spouses, whether that be with our church, whether that be with our business. He wants us to come to a place where we're learning to be dependent upon him because in our state right now, it's inevitable that we're going to mess stuff up. So he lets the wicked go first and in letting them go first, he now is allowed to come in. And when he comes in, when God comes in, all glory goes to him. Key point there. Let's let's go a little bit further with this. So Daniel takes it to his friends. They pray. And then there's this key passage, and I'm going to read it to you. And right now we're just in a review. But I want to make sure you get this because it is the linchpin, if you will, of the entire book of Daniel. The entire book of Daniel, what I'm about to read to you right now in Daniel chapter 2. And we're reading verses 20. Yes, we're reading verses 20 to 23. The Bible says, Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his, and he changeth the times and the seasons. He removeth kings, and he setteth up kings. He giveth wisdom unto the wise, and knowledge to them that know understanding, 
He revealeth the deep and secret things. He knoweth what is in the darkness, and the light dwelleth with him. I thank thee and praise thee, O thou God of my fathers, who has given me wisdom and might, and has made known unto, unto me now what we desired of thee. For thou has made known unto us the king's matter. So here's that key idea. God sets up kings and he puts them down. He, he changes the times and seasons. And ultimately, if I were to summarize the thought, God is in control. Literally, my friends, the whole book of Daniel is about this omnipotent God, the omniscient God who knows everything, who's all powerful, who's in control of all nation behaviors. And he's working everything after the counsel of his own will. Again, this is a repetitive or review of what we previously studied. But I want to get to another point here. In Daniel 2, we saw the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron and clay. We went through, we identified. We didn't try to identify the kingdoms per se. We identified the characteristics of those kingdoms and ultimately were emphasizing what God himself was emphasizing. What was God himself emphasizing? He named only one kingdom in, or two kingdoms in all of that. He said, Nebuchadnezzar, you are this head of gold. Then he says, there's a kingdom inferior to you. And then there's another kingdom. And then there's another kingdom. And then there's a, a kingdom of, of iron and clay. And then it emphasizes, and in the days of these kings, the God of heaven will set up an eternal kingdom. And when, as we were studying, we looked at and we saw that this rock cut out with our hands, smashes the image at the feet. And this rock grows into a great mountain. Now, you need to go back and look at that study because we went through thoroughly, thoroughly, thoroughly. We showed that the kingdom of heaven was expanding, which was the loud cry, which was the everlasting gospel being preached into all the world. And as the gospel is preached into all the world, not just by words, but by action, then this kingdom, which is a mountain, grows and expands and it fills the whole earth. Just like in Revelation chapter 18, when the angel comes down and the, glory Lord, and the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth. Just like Isaiah chapter 11, where it says the knowledge of the, of the Lord filled the earth. Just like Isaiah chapter 60, arise and shine for the glory of the Lord has risen upon thee and the Gentile shall come unto thee. It's in that context, my friends, that this rock grows into a great mountain and there's this expansion of the kingdom of God on this planet in this present world. Now, I said all of that to get to Daniel 3, okay? Now, and I like to do what I call this whenever I do a review like this with my students, I call it a brain exfoliation. You know, you're just getting all the information out, saying as much as you can in a short amount of time, just so that your, your mind wraps around it. I'm, I know I left out a lot of details, but some of those details are helpful as we're looking at the next step, all right? So let's look at the next step. And Daniel chapter 3. In Daniel chapter 3, we're looking at verse number 1. Daniel 3, and we're looking at verse number 1. Please pay close attention. And again, the intent of our study is not so we can be oohed and awed. The intent of our study is to seek to understand the heart of God and ourselves come in line with what he is seeking to teach us, all right? So Daniel 3, verse 1, the Bible says, Nebuchadnezzar the king made an image of gold, whose height was three score cubits, and the breadth thereof six cubits. He set it up in the plain of Dura, in the province of Babylon. The first thing I want you to take note of in this passage it says, Nebuchadnezzar, the king, made an image of gold. Now, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream in chapter 2, the image was the head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of brass, legs of iron, feet of iron, and part of iron, and part of clay. In this passage, Nebuchadnezzar makes the entire image of gold. He is literally fighting against the reality of what heaven has told him will be the end of all things. He's fighting against it. He's like, there's nobody after me. It's complete, 100% gold. May my kingdom last forever. That's Nebuchadnezzar right there. 
And notice it says he made an image. So it's a man-made image. And you'll see there in verse 1, it says he set it up. You'll see that phrase over and over. Verse 2, watch what verse 2 says. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king sent to gather together the princes, the governors, and the captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image which Nebuchadnezzar the king had set up. Do you see it again? It says it again. The king has set up. It's a man-made image. And notice who's invited to this particular gathering. It's all leaders. Okay? It's the kings of the earth. It's the great men of the earth. It's the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs. It's the rulers of, excuse me, the provinces. Okay? So keep that in mind. I want you to hold your hand right here. I'm going to make a parallel or a comparison to another passage. Go with me to Revelation chapter 16. Look at Revelation chapter 16. Watch carefully here. In Revelation chapter 16, and we're reading particularly at verse number 12, okay? We're making a comparison between Daniel 2, I mean Daniel 3 verse 2, and Revelation chapter 16, beginning reading at verse 12. Watch. The Bible says, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates, and the water thereof was dried up that the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. Verse 13. And I saw, what did he see? Three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of the dragon, and out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of, what's it say? They're the spirit of devils, working miracles, which go forth unto the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to the battle of that great day of God. So the passage I just read to you is something that's going to be happening in the last days. And these three unclean spirits like frogs, and in a future study, we're going to go you know, much into those things. But I, right now, I want you to get an underlining principle. These three unclean spirits like frogs come out of the mouth of each one of these entities. And what is their job? They are to go to the kings of the earth to gather them together for the battle of Armageddon. You guys see that? So the unclean spirits go to gather the rulers of the planet for a battle against God. Okay? Are you with me still? Now watch this. We're back in Daniel chapter 3. We're back in Daniel chapter 3. Pay close attention. And all we're doing, we're just studying, friends. We're just letting the Bible kind of talk for itself. Watch this. Now in Daniel chapter 3, and we're looking at verse number 3. The Bible says, Then the princes, the governors, and captains, the judges, the treasurers, the counselors, the sheriffs, and all the rulers of the provinces were gathered together into the, unto the dedication of the image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. Do you guys see that again? Now, it's said it four times thus far that the king himself has set this image up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. There it is again. Nebuchadnezzar had set it up. That's one, two, three, four, five. Five times now, it's made mention that it's the king that has set it up. It's the king. It's a man-made image. Watch verse 4. Then and a herald cried aloud, To you it is commanded, O people, nations, and languages. So it sounds now like there's a, a proclamation. Just like the unclean spirits that come out of the mouth of the dragon, the beast, and the false prophet go to the kings of the earth. So there is a proclamation here in, in verse 4, and this proclamation is now going to give them instruction. What are they going to do? Watch what it says. It says that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, flute, harp, sackbut, psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, hath set up. Okay, so what do we see? What We see a herald 
who has already gathered the kings of the earth. And now he's saying, when you hear the sound of music, when you hear that sound, that certain sound, then everyone is to bow down. When you hear this frequency that everyone understands that all these different kinds of music will cause folks to bow down to this image. Now, I'm going to make a light application. And when I say light, meaning I'm not trying to prove this per se. The music that we listen to has an effect on us. You remember the story of David and the king was going mad and the evil spirit was upon him. And David played his harp. And when he played his harp, the evil spirit left. Uh, I, I dare say the music that we listen to has an impact on us in a very similar way. So if we're listening to music that is not of God, and when I say not of God, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is pure, whatsoever is a good report, you know, what whatever lifts the spirit to a place where there is serenity and peace with God, that is what we want to listen to. What we don't want to listen to is music that brings us high. And then as soon as that music is done, we, you know, we drop down low. You know what I mean? So we have to be careful of what type of music we're listening to, because clearly inferred in the text, when this test is brought to these leaders, the music that they were listening to brought them to the point of kneeling to a false image or a image set up by a man-made uh, king. Or You understand what I'm saying? In other words, the music positioned them to bow down when they weren't supposed to be bowing down. And so, again, it's inferred, not directly stated, and we're not talking about the types of music at this moment, but we must be careful if we're, it's even like this, if you're substituting music for your Bible study, right? You got to be careful about that. If you only feel like you're in the presence of God with a certain type of music being played, you got to be careful of that. There, there is a caution. Now, this is the powerful part about being a believer. Any, any, and I hope those of you who are listening, you must take the principles of what I'm saying to you to heart. We are not simply to go along to get along, meaning just because somebody says music is bad in this area doesn't mean it's bad. And just because somebody says music is good in this area doesn't mean it's good. What must we be? Intelligent. We must be intelligent. We must do our own homework. We must do our own research. We must evaluate ourselves with God because, my friends, I'm not leaving my salvation in the hands of a preacher. Are you hearing what I'm saying? I'm not leaving my salvation in the hand of a body of supposed believers. I'm not going to do that. My salvation is between me and God, and I must be 1,000% honest with him and be intelligent in my approach to understanding what really impacts me. I have a whole presentation on music and the power of music, and, and in my mind as I'm looking at it, sometimes we focus on the negative so much so we don't, we don't understand the power of the good. So I'm going to challenge you. If you're hearing me right now, examine yourself. What are you listening to? What state of mind does the music put you in? What are you thinking about? Are they holy thoughts? Or is it a physical, emotional response that you're having? Does it rob you of your intellect? Or, is it in a, or does it put you in a space where both your spirit and your mind and your soul are all interconnected? We got to be careful. Body, mind, and soul. So here, music is used as a means of causing these persons to bow down to an image. Let's go a little further with this. Look at what the Bible says. We're just doing a Bible study. It says in verse number seven, it says, therefore, at the time when all the people heard the sound, actually go back to verse six. I, I read verse five. Let's read verse six. Verse six says, and whoso falleth not down and worshipeth shall the same hour be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. Hold your hand right here in Daniel 3. I want you to take a, a journey with me to Revelation 13. I want you to see that the same principles that are being laid out in Daniel 3 are repeated in the book of Revelation. So in Revelation chapter 13, we have something else similar. Let me save my spot here. 
So in Revelation 13, watch what it says. And again, we're doing we're observing the text. Make sure you're writing these things down. So in Revelation 13, and we're reading verse number 11. We're going to read verse 11. And, we're, and there's much to cover here, but I'm just going to highlight the key point for tonight. And it says, I beheld another beast coming up out of the earth. And he had two horns like a lamb, and he spake as a dragon. And he exercised all the power of the first beast before him and calls of the earth and them which dwell therein to worship the first beast whose deadly wound was healed. Pay attention now. And he doeth great wonders so that he maketh fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men and deceiveth them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast saying to them that dwell on the earth that they should make an image to the beast, which had a wound by a sword and did live. So you guys see that? So we see already in Daniel 3, there's an image that's created or that is built. And if you don't bow down and worship this image, you're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. Here in Revelation 13, which deals with our day, there's an image that's going to be built. Again, in another study, I'll go into great detail on what this image is. However, if you don't worship this image, look at verse number 15. It says, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause, that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. You guys see the same parallels? You see the parallels? So in Daniel 3, there's an image made, and it's made by a man. Made, it's a man-made image. It's something that man wants, wants uh, parts persons to bow down to, man-made. And if you don't bow down to this image, you're going to be put in a fiery furnace. Revelation 13, same thing. There's an image that's, that's set up. And this image, life is breathed into this image. And if you don't worship this image, you're going to be killed. Do you see the parallels? There's a parallel between both, both sections. One is an Old Testament story. And this Old Testament story will give us principles of how to stand for God when this image is fully set up and when it is breathed, when the life is breathed into it. And again, we're looking at the Bible for this. Go back now to Daniel chapter 3. Go back to Daniel 3. Back to Daniel 3. So let's review very quickly. In Daniel 3, we have an image that's set up by King Nebuchadnezzar. This image is of the entirety of gold. It's in rebellion to the dream and interpretation he received from Daniel some time ago. And he's like, look, I know I'm the head of gold, but listen here. It's, a, it's all about me, and we're going to live forever. That's Nebuchadnezzar's mindset. And he calls all the kings of the earth together. And there's a herald that says, when you hear the music, bow down. If you don't bow down, you're going to die. You're going to be thrown in a fiery furnace. All right. So we're all caught up. Let's go to verse number seven. It says, therefore, at that time, when all the people heard the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, sackbolt, psaltery, and all kinds of music, all the people, the nations, and the languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar, the king, had set up. It says it again. Nebuchadnezzar, the king, has set it up. Wherefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came near and accused the Jews. Well, that's interesting. So you have the Chaldeans who are the natives of the land. They see the Jewish young men, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. They're not bowing down to this image. And they are spying out. Now, listen to this, my friends. If you are a believer and you claim you're a believer, I want you to know that you're being watched. Did you hear me? You're being watched because the wicked don't like what you're talking about. They don't like what I'm talking about. They don't like how we're living, the wicked. I'm talking about people who are sold out to doing their own things, to living for themselves. Those persons are not interested and truly being our friends at the end of the day, they're looking for a chink in the armor. And if you don't believe me, watch this. I want you to hold your hand there in Daniel 3. I want you to go to Psalms. Psalms 37. 
Watch carefully what I'm going to read to you. And in fact, we're going to it's going to be interesting because we're going to come back to this in a different study. But I want you to go to Psalm 37. Watch this. Psalm 37. And we're looking at verse number 28. Watch carefully. Remember now, I'm telling you that the wicked don't like us and the wicked are looking for opportunity. They're jealous of this favor that we receive with God. If you're in the job and you're faithful to God and you're moving up in the ranks, don't think you're just moving up without somebody looking out to try to take you down. It is what it is. It's the world that we live in. But here's the reality of what transpired. Watch this. It says, verse 28, for the Lord loveth judgment and forsaketh not his saints. They are preserved forever. Praise God. But the seed of the wicked shall be cut off. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell therein forever. The mouth of the righteous speaketh wisdom and his tongue talketh of judgment. I love this. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The wicked, what's it say? What's your Bible say? Verse 32, the wicked watcheth the righteous. Is that what it says? The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeketh to slay them. That's what it says. The wicked watcheth the righteous and seeks to slay them. Remember now, we're reading Daniel 3. The Chaldeans are watching the Hebrews and they're spying on them. Why? They don't like that they have been put in positions of influence and power. If you're living righteously, I, tell, I say this all the time when I give Bible studies like this, though. True story. This really happened. This is when I didn't know any better. At that time, I was working at a place called Burger King. Anybody know about Burger King? And I worked at Burger King for a couple of weeks. Man, I, think, well, I think I worked there for two or three weeks. I need to make some money. And then I decided that I wasn't going to work there anymore. But anyway, there's a true story in here. So I was working at Burger King. And as I was working there, you know, sometimes those patties that folks get, the red, they're red. All right. They're red. And those patties, sometimes the workers would actually drop them on the floor. It's not that all of all the Burger Kings do this. But in this particular case, someone dropped them on the floor and they would pick them back up and they would put them back on the grill and they would put them back through the through the thingamajigger. And I would never do it. Like, if that dropped on the floor, that's going in the trash. That's just how it was, right? So I was working for Burger King, and I would do the right thing. And folks would make fun of me for doing the right thing. It's just it's silly stuff, man. You do the right thing, folks, it's just, I don't know why they do that, but they do it. They're making fun of me. So the, the manager at the time gave me a pen uh, for my, my good work in the time frame that I was there. And I think I got a two or five cent raise. I can't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't, it wasn't a lot of money. But I was being persecuted for something so small. <laughs> you know what I mean? Being made fun of for doing something right. And, you know, my friends, we got to come to a place in our experience where whether someone makes fun of us or not, we're going to do the right thing. Because it's not about the emotional response of how people are mocking me or, or laughing at me or putting me down or whatever it might be. Because at the end of the day, as I am faithful to God, I am honoring him in my behavior, in my deportment, in my conversation. And so folks are looking for opportunities to break us down. It's like, oh, see, you're just like us. Oh, see, you're a sinner just like me. And in that mindset, because they're feeling uncomfortable with righteousness, because what happens, this is true. You got to think about this. Remember God with Adam and Eve in the garden when they are walking in the cool of the day and then they eat the fruit. And when they eat the fruit, when God comes down, they literally hide. Now, in that story, when they're hiding, they didn't do it. God didn't do anything different than he would normally do. Right. He came to fellowship. He came to have communion. What changed? What changed? The condition of man's heart. When righteousness presents itself and my 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 weakness is right present. I'd rather destroy righteousness or silence the preacher or avoid my Bible than to expose my my evilness in my heart. You follow what I'm saying? So righteousness, when it presents itself, causes a visceral response by, by those who want to hold on to wickedness. I'll show you something else. Go to John, the book of John. The book of John. And we're going to John chapter 3. 
John chapter 3. Look at this. John chapter 3, and we're looking at verse 16. And you know this one already, okay? John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. You know this? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life, right? Watch this. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. Now watch verse 19. And this is the condemnation. What is the condemnation? That light is come into the world. And men loved darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil? Yes. For everyone that doeth evil hateth the light. Neither cometh to the light, lest their deeds should be reproved. But he that doth truth, but he that doth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are wrought in God. Do you see it, my friends? You see it? When righteousness presents itself, the wicked don't like it. And that's why we oftentimes don't want to have devotion. We don't want to spend, there's, we got to be honest with ourselves, right? There are times we just don't want to spend time with God because spending time with him will indicate something might be wrong with me. So here the Chaldeans are ready to put him to death. Go back to Daniel now. Go back to Daniel. Go back to Daniel. Ezekiel, Daniel. Go back to Daniel. And we are looking at chapter 3. Ezekiel, Daniel. I'm almost there. Back to Daniel. Look at 3. Watch this. So the Chaldeans are spying on them. The wicked are always looking at the righteous. Look, if you're living right, trust me. The demons aren't just going to be like, oh, yeah, they're living right. Let them go. Let them just have a great life. That's not how it goes. So they're watching. Look at verse 9. They spake and said to the king Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. Thou, O king, has made a decree that every man that shall hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, the dulcimer, and all kinds of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whosoever falleth not down and worshipeth, that he should be cast into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. There are, watch this now, there are certain Jews whom thou hast set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, these men, O king, have not regarded thee. They serve not thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Well, that's interesting. Isn't that, isn't that an interesting slide in right there? Because the, the command was to worship the image. The Chaldeans now slipped in. They don't worship your gods and they don't worship your image. Did you guys see that? I just, I just saw that. They just slipped that in. They had been watching them on a daily basis to see what their lives were like. And the only thing they could come up with, they don't worship your God. They don't obey what you're telling them to do right now in regards to worshiping this image. You see that? And notice again, it, it says the, the image which Nebuchadnezzar set up in, at the end of verse 12. Verse 13 says, then Nebuchadnezzar in his, what's it say? Rage and fury commanded to bring Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Then they brought these men before the king. So the king is angry. He's upset. Nebuchadnezzar spake and said unto them, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, do not ye serve my gods, nor worship the golden image which I have set up? Now if ye be ready that, I, that at what time ye hear the sound of the cornet, the flute, the harp, the sackbut, the psaltery, dulcimer, and all kinds of music, ye fall down and worship the image which I have made. Well, but if ye worship not, Ye shall be cast the same hour into the midst of the fiery furnace. And who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? Now, man, listen, brother, sisters, <laughs> listen. 
big mistake. Who is this God who's going to deliver you out of my hands? Listen, brothers and sisters, this language that's being used here is the same type of language Goliath used before David smote him with that stone. Are you following? And this language used right here is the same language used in Revelation chapter 13 when dealing with the Antichrist power. In fact, go with me. Hold your, put a little finger right there in Daniel 3. Go with me to Revelation 13. Watch this. Watch this. We're just doing a little comparison, Bible passages back and forth. Look at Revelation 13. The question is, who is this, who is this God that can deliver you out of my hands? Watch, watch this. And I stood upon the sand of the sea, verse chapter 13, verse 1, and saw a beast rise up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and upon his horns ten crowns, and upon his heads the name of blasphemy. And the beast which I saw was likened to a leopard, and his feet was the feet of a bear, and his mouth as the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his seat and great authority. Watch this now. And I saw one of his heads as it were wounded to death, and his deadly wound was healed. And the Bible says, and all the world wondered after the beast. And they worshiped the dragon, which gave power unto the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him you see it same type of question who is this god's gonna who is this god that will deliver you out of my hands who is like unto the beast who is able to make war with him the question is positioned as if there is nobody it is a pompous arrogant statement to make especially to those who are worshiping the true living God. And this is where you and I need to be, brothers and sisters. We need to be in a space where we are truly worshiping the living God. Because at the end of the day, if we are not in connection with him, all these strong stances will fall. Just like Peter said, I'm on, I will never leave you. And then he's the first one running away. Because it's not in a resolution within ourselves per se. It is in dependence upon one that is greater than ourselves that allows us to stand when all other things and everyone else is falling away. So now is the time to begin to practice this type of relationship with God. Now is the time to practice putting your plans before him and saying, Father, what would you have me to do with my life? Now is the time to put everything before him and say, Father, how would you seek to have me raise my child or my children? How do you want me to engage with my spouse? And then when he gives you that instruction, walk in faith in that instruction. Because if he can take you through those things without question, he can put he can take you through a fiery furnace. Moment by moment, we learn to trust him. It's these baby steps. These guys don't just come into this situation and be like, I'm going to stand for God and it just happens. It's a constant daily walk with God that strengthens their resolve to be faithful. To be faithful. So back to Daniel 3. Back to Daniel 3. So here it is. And we I love the response of these young men. You know, you know this story well, but I, I think it's important to review and remember. Verse 16 says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abad and Abadnego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar. We are not careful to answer thee in this matter. Mm. If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace. And he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. For a future study, I just want you to just keep that phrase in mind. Out of thine hand. What does it mean to be in their hand, right? So keep that in mind. But he's, they're, they're saying he's going to deliver us out of your hand. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Then was Nebuchadnezzar full of fury, and the form of his visage was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Therefore he spake and commanded that they should heat the furnace one seven times more than it was wont to be heated. In other words, heat it up as hot as it can go. Just turn the heat up. 
You wanted them to be consumed, brothers and sisters. Uh, this imagery that we have of the king, this imagery that we have here, that imagery it is in a small comparison to how the devil sees us. When he sees the believers of God, those who are trying to live right before God, his hatred is amped up to the point where he wants to completely eradicate us from the earth. He's trying to figure out how to flip us and trip us up and make us fall, my friends. So the reality is what we see in Nebuchadnezzar in this moment is the same type of character, 10 times more, if you will, that Lucifer has against those who are wanting to be faithful to God. And all those who live godly, the Bible says, shall suffer persecution. We should not seek to avoid it, my friends. We should not seek to run into it either, but we should not seek to avoid it, being afraid of persecution. Our God is faithful. Can he deliver? Yes. Will he deliver? It's up to him. But whether it, we are delivered or not, we're not bound down to that image. <laughs> I love it. We're not bound down to that image. To, to a great degree, my friends, I pray that we make that same decision on smaller things. On smaller things. Because the big test, when it comes, we don't just wake up to do that, my friends. It is day by day, moment by moment, we make these decisions. Let's move on. Time is running out. It says, and he commanded the most, verse 20, and he commanded the most mighty men that were in his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and to cast them into the burning, fiery furnace. The, then these men were bound in their coats, their hoes, and their hats, and their other garments, and were cast into the midst of the burning, fiery furnace. Therefore, because the king's commandment was urgent and the furnace exceeding hot, the flame of the fire slew those men that took up the took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell down, bound in the midst of the burning fiery furnace. So they're thrown into the midst of the fire, my friends. Then Nebuchadnezzar the king was astonished and rose up in haste and spake and said unto his counselors, Did not we cast three men bound into the midst of the fire? They answered and said unto the king, True, O king. He answered and said, Lo, I see four men loose, walking in the midst of the fire, and they have no hurt. And the form of the fourth is like the Son of God. Okay, for a moment. I want us to think. The fire was so hot that those who had bound them, when they, were th when they threw them in, the ones that bound them fell dead. Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, as they're falling into the fire, they're not burnt. And there's a fourth one that's walking in the midst of the fire with them. Now, my friends, the Bible says in Hebrews, I think it's Hebrews 12, 29, our Lord is a consuming fire. We look at the book of Isaiah. I think it's chapter 33 where it talks about the, who's going to be burnt up in the everlasting fires or who, who's, who's going to stand in the everlasting fires. And it talks about the righteous standing in the everlasting fire. I think it's verse 14 and 15. So our God is in that fire with his, with his children. Do you know that in the last days, when we get to heaven, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that's going to be, when we are there, my friends, we're all going to be standing on some type of fire. In fact, let me show you. Revelation 14. Watch this. Hold your hand there in Daniel 3. Revelation 14. And look what the Bible says in Revelation chapter, actually, Revelation chapter 15. And look at verse number 1. The Bible says in Revelation chapter 15, verse 1, And I saw another sign in the heaven, great and marvelous, seven angels having the seven last plagues, for in them is filled up the wrath of God. And I saw, as it were, a sea of glass. What's it say? Mingled with fire. And them that had gotten the victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name stand on the sea of glass, having the harps of God. You guys see that? The righteous are standing on a sea of glass as if it were fire. They're standing in the one that is a consuming fire. They're standing in the one that is everlasting righteousness. Why are they able to stand? Because the God of the universe is standing right there with them. And the only things that were burnt on these young men were the ropes that were on their hands. Now, my question is, how did 
the king know that the fourth walking in the midst of the burning fiery furnace was the son of God. That phrase, it didn't say son of man. Literally, it says son of God. It's that, that, that phraseology that's used in the New Testament referring to Jesus Christ. How did he know? Someone says, well, he saw him in the vision. No, it doesn't say that. It says the rock became a mountain. It doesn't say that he saw Jesus in that vision. My friends, there's something about when Jesus is, is, is manifesting himself to his own creation that his creation is going to recognize. You, you understand what I'm saying? Like at the end of the day, when he manifests himself in a certain way, they're going to recognize. What is God trying to do here? God, it's interesting. When you look at these stories of prophecy, I'm looking at the character of God, right? The king is the one that makes that proclamation. It says, I see a fourth walking, and he looks like he's the son of God. God is going to the nth degree to save Nebuchadnezzar. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Like, he's literally manifested himself in a form so that Nebuchadnezzar can see him, and Nebuchadnezzar can recognize and say, this looks like the son of God. This looks like the character of the person that these young men have been talking to me about. This looks like the one that they have been been preaching to me about, right? So this is the son of God. This, this phrase, I could be wrong. If I'm wrong, y'all let me know. But this phrase, son of God, not, not, not used a lot in that Old Testament. Now, I don't think it's ever used in the book of Daniel. Not, not before chapter 3. So clearly something spiritual and special is happening because God is intentional in his dealings with mankind. And God is intentional with you and me. He has every desire to save us, every desire to come close to us, gives us dreams. He gives us visions. He gives us he allows problems so that we can come to him. Every problem, every difficulty is a call to prayer, a call to a close fellowship and communion with the most high. Powerful, my friends. He will do everything he can. So these three Hebrew boys, these three young messengers are then in their faithfulness, there's a fourth messenger that appears amongst them. Powerful. I want you to look at verse 26 as we begin to wrap this up for the night. Verse 26 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the mouth of the burning fiery furnace and spake and said, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, ye servants of the Most High God, come forth and come hither. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar is recognizing. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came forth of the midst of the fire. And the princes and governors and captains and the king's counselors being gathered together saw these men upon whose bodies the fire had no power, nor was a hair of their head singed, neither were their coats changed, nor the smell of fire had passed on them. Brothers and sisters, pure 1,000% miracle. That is, that is phenomenal. Pure 1,000% miracle. Now, you may, you may ask, Andre, I'm interested in prophecy. I want to know what's going to happen in the future. Let me, let me tell you something about prophecy. Prophecy is designed to help you know more about God and how he functions and how we are to function with him. Prophecy is designed so that when we see it come to pass, we learn to trust him. So this story literally is, is an example of those who will be faithful in the end of time, who have learned to trust God when all else has all around them broken down and they are uncompromising in their stance with God. You see, if you don't know these stories, then understanding Babylon, Medo Persia, Greece, Rome, and the other kingdoms thereafter, and the Antichrist power thereafter, does you no good, it does you no benefit until the principle of righteousness finds its dwelling place in us. These men are faithful. And because of their faithfulness, my friends, the king of the earth, pay attention now. The faithfulness, stay with me. The faithfulness of God's children, when the test of the image presents itself, will be a testimony to the kings of the earth so that the kings of the earth will learn to glorify the most high in heaven. The test will come to the believer first. And as they're faithful in their crisis, 
then the gospel is allowed to go to the world in great power. But my friends, if we're not faithful now in that which is least, what do you think is going to happen when the test presents itself? The test is an opportunity for God to show up and to show out, and he cannot show up or show out unless he has a body that is willing to trust him no matter what, whether they live or whether they die. Whether they live or whether they die. So I encourage you, be faithful. Be faithful to those little things. Be faithful to those things that, that don't seem to be as important. And as you're faithful in those things, God will give you rulership over much. Let's finish this. Verse 28 says, Then Nebuchadnezzar spake and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who have sent his angel and delivered his servants that trusted in him and have changed the king's word and yielded their bodies that they might not serve nor worship any god except their own god. And then the king makes a decree that every people nation and language which speak anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be cut in pieces and their houses shall be made a dunghill because there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. My friends, you see the king still needed some form of conversion, right? He's still making decrees for putting people to death if they speak against the God of heaven. But he's still, at this point, giving glory and honor to the God of heaven. And my, my challenge to you, my friends, those of you who are listening, those of you who have your Bibles open, those of you who are prayerful, you see Revelation 13 and Revelation 16 point to a time when we must be faithful when all the world has turned its back on God. And that time when it presents itself, we don't just wake up one day unfaithful during that time frame. We must learn now how to be faithful. We must learn now how to trust God how to spend time with him, how to have fellowship with him, how to have communion. And as we learn that lesson now, when that test presents itself, it won't be a strange thing for us to stand firm in the spirit and grace of God. There are some that will try to stand firm in their own might and in their own strength and misrepresent God. And there's some that will stand in that time holding on to sins in their lives that they should have given up a long time ago. But my friends, can you imagine Daniel or Shadrach, Meshach, or Hananiah, Meshach, and Azariah in that moment in time, having some type of secret sin and standing up for... No, my friends, they let that stuff go. They let it go. So my challenge to all of us, myself included, let's make sure we're walking with God in all the light that we have. Let's be totally consecrated. Let's take God at his word and walk according to those promises that he's put before us. Let's not judge with our natural eye. Let's, let's ask God for his Holy Spirit that, that the things of God can be, can be made manifest to us. Let's trust him. For he's a God of love. He's a God of mercy. He's a God of grace. He's a God of justice. And this God right now is setting up his eternal kingdom. The question is, will you allow him to set up his kingdom in your own heart? If that's your desire, bow your heads with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for your love and mercy the opportunity that we've had to study the Bible. Lord, I know you want to do a new thing in us. You want to make us faithful. You want to make us honorable. You want to recreate your image in us so that when folks see us, they can see Jesus and they can say, surely these folks have spent time with Jesus. Father, help us to be loving and patient and kind. And I know, Father, at the end of the day, we want to give you all the praise, honor, and thanksgiving. And we thank you, Father, for this opportunity of study. Help us to go back, review, and apply these truths in our daily lives. May the music we listen to, may the things that we watch, may the clothes that we wear all give honor to you. May the hugs that we give, may the food that we sacrifice speak volumes in regards to your love for us. We pray these things knowing that you can do abundantly above whatever we ask or think. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My friends, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I'll see you on Sabbath, Saturday, Sabbath night or Sabbath afternoon at 630. And God bless. And if you have any questions, feel free to shoot me an email or the study guide for this will be coming, to, I believe, not tomorrow. I'll be sending it out on Friday. 
So you get the study guide for this and all the other previous study guides. And those of you who are watching who are not part of my email list, please feel free to email me or direct message me. And I'll be happy, happy, happy to send you those things. Thank you, Sister Ingrid. Thank you, uh, uh, Sister Arlene. Um, those of you who are watching, God bless you. Thank you so much for spending time with me. You guys have a good night.